glass, I'm pretty handy. Welcome to Season 4 of the Barfly Podcast. So My name is Jeff Berger, Barfly columnist for the Bay Area News Group and author of the books 20 Years Behind Bars and its sequel, Parole Denied. My co-host and barback is Kevin Blum, editor of the online entertainment hub, The Marine Dish. So sit back and enjoy our little peek behind the hospitality industry crew. Oh, and don't forget to... Have a drink on me. Welcome back to the Barfly Podcast. We are excited to have Munther Masarway on the podcast. Munther is a renowned chef, restaurant operator, consultant, and caterer. He earned his chops at Chicago's world-famous Pump Room, where he served as the executive chef for five years. And over his long career, he's had his hands in several successful Bay Area restaurants. And he currently runs Ricky's Restaurant and the Speakeasy in Novato. And most recently, he launched The Boardroom. So welcome, Munther. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because you seem to have mastered this, is restaurant concept. Obviously, you've been involved with a variety of concepts over the years, but tell us a little bit about that process of creating a concept. Do you first come up with a concept and then try to find the location or do you or do you find a location and you're like what's the perfect concept for that? Everyone always says, you know, in the restaurant business, location, location, location and while that might be true, I think that I look at it a little bit differently. I think that every location has a successful concept. You just got to find what that concept is. For me, one of the things I study is the environment, the community, and just, you know, what kind of climate is around seasonally, not seasonally, around that location, and then develop a concept to fit that location. And I think that's very important, especially because location, location, location costs a lot of money. You find the A locations, and those things are usually prime rent. Right. So I don't mind secondary markets and finding the right concept for that market and be able to be successful at it. If you're going to put something on the waterfront in Fisherman's Wharf, it's going to be really expensive. It's going to be very expensive. Right. And the other side of that is the notion that build it and they will come. Sometimes it doesn't work so well. Some people stick so heavily to a concept without doing what you're talking about. How do you navigate that? What What are the factors you look at? I look at uh, the current climate, economic climate, housing climate, what's the market doing over the next three to five years. And that'll kind of gauge what I look at. Uh, I look at the community. You know, we always look at, you know, the average income level. We look at, are you close to schools? Traffic. is. So there's just a, a bunch of different things that we look at. And those are, I think, are the common things we look at. But what we don't look at is what's happening in three to five years. I try to build for the future. And I also do believe in a little bit and build it and they will come. Uh, some people kind of just paint the pig, as they say, and just try to open up. And I think that people, you know, you got to put a little bit of money into your place. People like to come and they want to see a change. So when a concept isn't working and they're looking at reconceptionalizing a restaurant, sometimes they just want to paint it, yeah. put a different sign. That just doesn't work. I mean, right. the community, they like change, especially if it's not been successful in the past. That's a great point because there are restaurants, it seems like if you've reconcepted three times, it's not going to work. I've rarely seen that actually work that way unless it's a completely different radically different where they tear their building down and build another one sort of thing so i i don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that but reconcepting can start to pick up pace people really they'll give you two three shots but they're not going to give you a fourth shot i agree i think there's just too much competition and too many options for people to just keep on giving you a shot and i think the reality is that once uh, you've changed hands or concept three or four times the stigma is that that's not a good location that, mm-hmm. that they'll never make it there 
In order to change that, you need longevity. You have to do a really dramatic change. It can't just be a name and a menu change. And that you have to really put some thought behind it and, and really make a major change. I mean, I have to say, sitting in this room here, this is spectacular. This is really, I mean, I was not sure what to expect. I'd never been here before, but this is beautiful. I mean, you've done a great job with this leather on the walls and the, and the carpeting. And the, I mean, it really feels like you're in like Frank Sinatra's living room or right? something, it's, it's, or, or, or something um, of that era. Even the ceilings. I'm impressed. What Thank was you. the impetus for this concept? We're in a little strip mall. Next door is a gun shop, and then I have a uh, Spanish meat market next to me. So it's not ideal for kind of a high-end fine dine look. Again, we have a speakeasy, so it played right into it. So Kind of a hidden uh, location. Yeah, and, right? and I don't mind you know, being a little risque. But I knew that uh, studying the neighborhood, studying our current climate and who's moving into the neighborhood and who's moving out, especially uh, post-COVID, which I guess we're still kind of in COVID, but, yeah. you know, kind of getting past the worst of it, hopefully. I wanted to cater to a specific age group. So this wasn't, this was really designed for an age group where people could identify it. So Michael Brenner, interior designer, the direction I gave him is to uh, make sure at any cost that he absolutely achieves a feel and a look, which was you walk into Frank Sinatra's house. I wanted people to walk in and identify it with their era. I wanted them to identify with not COVID. <laughs> yeah, sure. I wanted them to feel like if they walked into a different era. And uh, and I think that also our food and our menu was designed a lot around the co- uh, concept. I mean, our best sellers are chicken livers and escargot. I mean, those really? are very old school dishes that you don't see on menus a lot. And I said, are they going to sell? Are they not going to sell? Well, they're, they're not. They're two of our best appetizers. You sound surprised by that. I am. I just did, yeah. you know, those are items are either like them or you don't. And we've been super successful with it. So we're pretty excited about that. I would imagine as a chef, anything you put on your menu, you have a you have an opinion that it's going to work. Absolutely. But, but that point is sometimes they don't and you have to retool and do that kind of thing. The one thing that, that I want to clarify is so you're not looking to ape or to as an homage. You're looking for the actual people who would remember an era like this or have memories of that. You're yeah. not looking for the, the hipsters who are going to come in and do that, right? Well, funny enough, we're actually getting a lot of that uh, that clientele because there's a lot of people that are just our old souls and they like to identify and they love the concept. So we're actually getting both. I was going for a very specific age group, but we seem to be getting that 40-year-olds, 35-year-olds, the couples that want to have date night here, and they just love it. And, you know, we have people that are here two, three times a week. So it's not really necessarily for the people from that that age demographic, but it's kind of trying to appeal to everybody, but off, offering something that's really off the beaten path. This is not, there's nothing like this in much less in Novato, much less in all of Marin County, I would yeah. say. Well, our goal was two things, twofold. One, we wanted to have the best food in Novato. Second of all, I don't believe in cannibalizing the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I love it that there's different concepts, and so when I looked around the neighborhood, again, studying your environment, uh, what was missing, and I just saw this as a niche, an intimate dining room. Everyone's gotten away from tablecloths, too, in restaurants. I mean, mm-hmm. you find maybe some Asian restaurants with uh, tablecloths, but you don't find fine dining service anymore because for the last 10, 15 years, we've been saying, hey, get rid of the tablecloths, get rid of the tablecloths. Fast casual. Find right. a fast casual, fast casual. And I think you need to keep up with the times. And so, you know, sometimes things just never go out of fashion, and it's time to bring it back. We've been uh, successful doing that. It's not a giant space either, which helps do that. Right. It makes it a little more cozy and you feel a little special as opposed to one of 180 other people. That's absolutely right. And Nevado, I mean, you obviously have 
quite a footprint here. What is it about Novato that resonates with you? I just think uh, it is definitely a secondary market, but I really think that uh, Novato has more sophisticated palate than we give it credit for. Mm-hmm. And I think you just need to build it and they will come. And I don't think anyone's done that in Novato yet. You know, I came into the county in uh, 82. I built Wild Fox in 99, opened up in 2000. And I've just invested in this community. I believe in the community. The community mm-hmm. has been extremely supportive throughout the years, especially through COVID. I mean, it's very humbling. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons we've survived, it's because of our clientele. The community has really rallied around what we do, and they know that we appreciate their palate. And uh, and I listen to them. You know, our customers tell us what they want, what they don't want. And this is really, I don't even advertise outside of uh, Novato. I'm just mm-hmm. not, you know, that's not what this is. This is a neighborhood restaurant. This is your home base? Yeah. It is. Now, with Ricky's, you relaunched or you took it over at, what was 2019? 2017. 2017. I took it over, but I spent the better part of a year and a half doing a uh, remodel. Michael Brennan, again, was a designer. Yeah. And we kind of wanted an American farm fresh restaurant. Not necessarily farm to table, but a farm fresh restaurant. Kind of gutted it and started over. Again, the community really rallied around us. Uh, unfortunately, we were only open four months before and COVID, before COVID right. and then the fires up north, sure, and it right. just seems to be one thing after the other. Yeah, so, yeah, so we kind of, you know, initially had a really hard time. Just I mean, we closed four months after we opened, as the rest of the world did. Right? Sure. So now we're really working uh, right now on putting out our fall menu and starting some new concepts. Uh, we have incredible. It's an incredible venue, also for you know we have a lot of banquet space and wedding the outdoor space. area. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to start this coming summer. We're going to start our dine and dip again where people can come and their kids can be in the pool. And oh, nice. we, we weren't able to do that through COVID. We're just kind of sitting on it, waiting, but it feels right. It feels like it's the right time. So we have a bunch of new uh, you know, music programs with live bands. Uh, our happy hour at both places is incredible. And we started early at 3 o'clock and we're running all the way to 6. And I think that we're, we're excited about the future. Then we're starting to uh, get pretty full on, on events. Mm-hmm. wine dinners, that type of thing. But just our regular menu, our farm menu, will come out uh, second week of October. And make the distinction between what farm-to-table and farm-fresh. What is your opinion? I think that farm-to-table is when you're really working with local farms. You get absolutely lettuce right out of the ground with a heartbeat. You're working with a lot of small producers, uh, and you're not dealing with the bigger companies. One of the problems that I have with that is that we're a larger restaurant there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these small producers that I went to, or farmers, I should say. I shouldn't say producers, but they can't supply us. Right with a consistent, you know, and that's part of farm to table. It's whatever is fresh that day. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that with a menu of our size and a restaurant of our size. So I, we just call ourselves Farm Fresh. We have our own herb and vegetable garden, mm-hmm. and we grow what we can, and we, you know, use it in our uh, recipes. But the reality is it's just not enough. So we continue to kind of be a, you know, Farm Fresh American restaurant, so traditional dishes. You know, after uh, the pandemic and closing Wild Fox, I took some of those dishes and put them on the menu at uh, Ricky's in our fall menu coming up. Well, you do a lot of comfort food related cuisine. What are the dishes right now that are really resonating with people? I mean, you talked about like with the boardroom, but like at Ricky's and like at what Ricky's, are people gravitating uh, towards? At Ricky's, that's a great way to describe it. If you said, what is American Farm Fresh? It's kind of upscale comfort food. Upscale comfort. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great way to describe it. You know, we use Kobe beef, uh, short rib. Mm-hmm. And we serve that, you know, over goat cheese polenta. Things like that are just really comfort food. We just put on a wild boar meatloaf on the menu. 
Oh wow! Yeah, oh. things like that that really right. uh, they're, they're familiar, but they're elevated. They're right? elevated. Yeah, yeah, you just gotta put that little extra on it, and then and people notice that when they when they go and the dish comes to the table, they immediately know that there's love in the food. They see the presentation, the taste, and they know it wasn't something that was just whipped off. Some thought went into the dishes. I think we're kind of just getting back to that after you know the whole COVID. I've noticed, like in in the cocktail world, for instance, it's it's kind of reminds me of California cuisine, where people are now just kind of mashing things together, right, just to make them unusual or weird. And that's clearly not what you're doing there. Where again, in the cocktail world, now I've noticed that people gravitate towards like a Manhattan. They they want a different take on a Manhattan, but they want something that's within the realm of familiarity, not some crazy smoking purple weird weird thing i mean there are a few people who like that sort of thing but there's a, a level of comfort that you don't want to get too far away from right. is that is that kind of what you're doing with rookies and it is we like to put a little spin on things um you know we have our specialty cocktail list and again we throw a little spin on a manhattan mm-hmm. or a margarita but it's just kind of streamlined and we put a lot of emphasis on our wine list too we have a wine locker program at Ricky's. Here we don't have a wine locker at the boardroom, but what we do here is we, we're claiming that we have the most affordable wine list in Northern California. And we've gone to our winery partners and asked them to give a special pricing to let the community try wines that they normally would not try because of the price. And we're finding that it's extremely successful. So. Um, and so what is a wine locker? A wine locker is basically a storage unit. It's a membership that you uh, buy into, and you're able to buy wine at a reduced price, keep your own wine in there. You don't have corkage fee when you come in, and you're able to, if you have a, a friend in, you can call our uh, VIP service manager and say, hey, uh, I have a friend in. Do you mind putting this bottle of wine on their table? It's like a private cellar. It's exactly what it oh, is. Oh, wow, that's yeah, great idea. And people really like it. We have a waiting list. We've had a waiting list really? even through COVID. Yeah. We've always had a waiting list. The uh, original founding members are all still founding members. I think one passed. But other than that, you know, we have a full house on that. That's a great idea. That's a very, very good idea. What still gets you going excited about the job after all the years? Like, what the past few years have obviously been very difficult for a lot of restaurant owners, but... What still gets you jazzed about the job? You know what? It's funny that you asked that. My daughter just asked me that question the other day. And for me, it's multi-level. There's a couple of things. One, I love creating jobs. And I think over the years, we've created thousands of jobs from you know the time that we opened up Wild Fox in 99 till now. And I don't even know what the number is, but I know it's in the thousands. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I like the fact that it's hard. Not everyone could do it. And then I love the challenge that every day is different. It's the people. I love the people that we work with. I love the people that are guests. I love the creativity of it. And it's very challenging. Every day is different. There's not one day that's the same as the day before. So I'm, That keeps it excited. Yeah, I mean, I love cooking. And if I ever had to give up that I wouldn't do more restaurants you know mm-hmm. I know we have a brand new restaurant opening up in Bend Oregon next month called the Black Steer Steakhouse I don't want to do restaurants anymore if I can't cook every day that I'm in one of the restaurants at some point or another I'm cooking so I never want to give that up I express myself a little bit more like I said I never really cook for myself mm-hmm. I cook for our guests but I like you know the diverse palettes that we get and then being able to create menus to suffice that is always challenging. And right now, as you know, everyone knows we're having a hard time with the labor market. That's another challenge, you know. It's uh, it's just different every day, and I, I really, truly love what I do. Let's talk a little bit about that labor market, because it has changed. I mean, I've been in the industry for you know, 40, 40 years, 
and it's wildly different now than it was. And we've talked on the podcast before about losing a generation of, of employees, but it's it's harder and harder to to find, and certainly to staff a much much larger restaurant would be near impossible. If you had to hire fifty new employees, it would be near impossible. So someone like yourself, you've actually generated goodwill, and a lot of your employees have been with you for quite some time. We've been very fortunate with that. We've had some people as uh, that have been with us 20, 23 years. We also um, have been able to retain new employees, but it's it's a struggle every single day. You know, we have challenges just trying to find staff. And I think one of the reasons is, if you really think about this, everything got shut down. A lot of people didn't qualify for unemployment. Mm-hmm. And so everyone, you know, has to live. So people either moved or decided to go into a different industry. Now everything opens up. How do you possibly staff all the restaurants in the world? At one moment. In yes. one moment. Yeah. It does not happen. It's going to take 10 years to get the market back to where it was from a labor standpoint. And also that also created a demand and also that raised wages. So now the, the people that are working can ask for higher wages that the restaurants really can't afford. So we're paying that, but we're also trying to figure out how are we going to survive now because labor is probably... 32 to 38%, general products, 17% insurance, 3%. I just can keep on going on and on. But when you analyze it, you're so in the in the red that you can't run restaurants the way you used to. So I think reinventing how you do business is a, a big part of how we're going to survive. So I think everyone is still trying to figure it out. I know I am. So don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today. Please join us next time when we welcome industry insiders and industry outsiders to talk about the state of the restaurant and bar business. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for listening.